Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Grenville Pinto, a violinist perhaps better known under his performing name of G. Pinto. Based out of Toronto, Grenville isn't just a violinist. He's a showman and a complete musician who performs professionally for special events and concerts, not only in Canada, but around the world. His overarching genre is best described as world instrumental music, but Grenville's versatility is his strength as he can adeptly perform whatever the genre, no matter the style from classical to rock to hip-hop to opera to Bollywood to pop music. His mission statement is to be a bolt of lightning on the musical landscape, and I think he's just a tremendous, tremendous talent. Welcome, Grenville, the Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, thank you, Andrew. I am in just outside of Toronto area in Scarborough, and I'm doing very well, thank you. Excellent. Well, this being Toronto Legends, we love to get granular within Scarborough. Do you mind uh, telling us kind of the, the intersection and or neighborhood you uh, reside in? Yeah, so right around, um, well, it's Omni, the Omni area, so right, right around Scarborough Town Centre. Excellent. So, so lots kind of, of good a bit... shopping and lots of good eating. Yes, convenient. Convenient, definitely, yeah. But I have to be careful. can fall into some traps. So in our industry, that's how it is. A lot of, a lot of good food and temptation every day. So I have to be careful when I'm, when I'm in my private life, too. Well, that's right. Not overdo it. That ties into my next question. Are you, are you traveling these days, or are you mainly able to perform uh, locally? I do a lot of... A lot of my performances will be in the horseshoe. It always has been um, when I'm when I'm stationed here. So that's uh, my hometown is Hamilton. So I keep my feet wet. That's why I say the horseshoe because what I'll do is I'll go visit family and all who are still. Uh, all my family resides in in Hamilton. My two sisters, my father. So it gives me a reason to go that direction. If I get a gig in in Niagara, for example, then I can you know I just I work it in as a as a family visit as well. Excellent. Yeah, a lot of it's local. A lot of it's like Toronto area where I'm located uh, is is a very convenient area. Now, I was here for other reasons when I first moved to this area. And the way it evolved was I just ended up staying because I, I can't, I couldn't position myself moving for a couple of reasons. You know, when you, as, as time goes on, you just collect so many things that I realize if I have to move, it's going to be a massive undertaking. Uh, so I said, I'll stay where I am. It's, it's very convenient, close to the highways, and it gets me to where I have to perform. And when I have to travel for the airport and all, for example, quite conveniently. Great to have a home base you can count on. Now, you'll have to excuse my cultural ignorance, but to be honest, if you told me I would ever be interviewing a violinist for this podcast, I would have told you that I must have run out of people to interview. But <laughs> kudos and backpats to me for having an open mind, because I saw you perform recently as a special guest of the Lord of the Strings, the Mediterranean guitarist Pavlo and Granville, it's not hyperbole to say that you blew me out of my soft cushion seat. Your talent is obvious, but your showmanship is what caught my eye. So let's start from there. Who is 
G. Pinto. Well, G. Pinto, first of all, had to be abbreviated from Grenville Pinto for internet reasons, let's call it, because when I first tried to put a website together that was Grenville Pinto Music, uh, you run into a whole slew of errors and people just can't find you. So um, I did shorten it to G. Pinto. Pablo gave it his his blessing as well when we were... Pablo and I have have quite the history together. We ran into each other at mutual events, and I guess he saw what I was doing. I I was always a fan of his. You know, we ended up uh, developing a relationship together. Uh, so he's also produced my uh, my Perfect Day album back in 2014. So I learned a lot from him because with my name, with my music, and what I represent, it is all over the place. The music I'm into is is all over. It's anything from I mean, I was classically trained, but I am I appreciate all different genres of music and I listen to all different uh, genres of music. So when people hear my name, I think that's what happens. It's it's my love for music in general. So when I hit a stage or when I perform, people know that they're gonna get an eclectic uh, you know, presentation of music. And um, I put it under like a world genre, but I like playing a little bit of everything, rock and rap and hip hop. And I used to DJ when I was younger. So, you know, you mix all those, all those together with the classical and the, you know, the church upbringing, which I had as well, and uh, kind of mash it all together. Now, Grenville, they say that the violin is the closest instrument to the human voice. Do you agree? Yes, I do agree with that statement. I think I like to, for myself... When I'm presenting myself, I speak through my instrument. I think the violin, just the nature of the instrument itself, sounds, it mimics the voice. You know, it's coming from within. It comes from deep inside the body. You embrace the instrument and the way it presents, the way it, it actually tells us, the violin can tell the story. And I think two, no, no two violinists would present identically the same way when you hear it. And tied into that, I have a Pintoism, quote, when I play the violin, I become the violin, unquote. What does that mean? Yeah, I think that's similar to what we were just touching on with, uh, with the previous statement, where the violin becomes part, we, we become one. The instrument and, my, and myself, we become one. We speak, the, I, it just becomes an extension of me. And I want to know how many violins do you own? And are any of them of significant value uh, monetarily? Yes, um, that's a good question now. Which ones do I have? I've got quite a variety. I've got some electric. I've got mostly acoustic instruments. Some are worth more than others, but my main working instrument is actually not worth monetary-wise. It's not It's not up there. It's not like I, um, the instruments that you would see for millions or hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, it's quite inexpensive. It was given to me through a gentleman who went to the church I used to go to when I was younger, he gave it to my mother and it sat for years. And that instrument I ended up playing, it's actually right behind me in this picture. For those listening, you won't see it, but we can see with each other. I mean, it's, it's just the instrument which I, which became one that I use all the time for my live performances. And I don't get it, you know, it's not, it doesn't, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have a Stradivarius name to it or anything fancy, but it got created. The sound that you hear gets created. And I think a violin, it's very, you know, I got to have at least, you know, numbers wise, I don't know, I've got eight to 10, I think, instruments that I have and keep here. Uh, but I really uh, gravitate to maybe two or three of them. And they're used for different scenarios. 
right? And the main one I use, as I told you, is probably the least expensive one. That's interesting. <laughs> now, they are such a delicate instrument. Do you have violin insurance? I have, you know, just under the house insurance umbrella. That's basically about it. So we sort of, they know I have instruments here. It's kind of a tough one too. I don't really, you know, where I live is kind of, I got, I've got pretty good security here. And uh, if anything, the guys want me to keep my instruments. They want to make, so they're all looking out for me too. They don't want the instruments stolen because I won't be able to serenade them. <laughs> and the other question aligned with a delicate instrument such as a violin, how do you travel with them? Do you, you, I can't travel with stuff without it getting crushed. I don't know how you travel with these. Well, I've got a system sort of figured out for that. And the violin, actually, you know, Pavlo and I, I see when, we, when we've traveled together, I see what he has to go through. And the band members too, how we have to check in instruments. And there have been, you know, God, God forbid, but it has happened do, that there's been uh, some some casualties and things that have happened to instruments. Mine, I take it with me on the plane. I'm very fortunate that the violin's small enough that I can travel with it. And touch wood, I haven't had, uh, I haven't run into any significant issues. They allow me to take it with me and put it in the overhead. So I constantly have, you know, it's it's like I said, an extension of me. So even when I'm traveling, it's still there. Right by me. Yeah. Well, let's talk violins 101. What is string plucking versus playing with a bow? So, yeah, a lot of people may not know that. And that's something when I when I play for schools, that's one one question which I'll ask them. What's the difference between these two? Because they, they, they'll they come up with all sorts of names for it or they see me doing it. Basically, plucking is when you, or they call, it's pizzicato. It's known as in Italiano, where the roots come from. So... You're plucking with your finger. You pluck the string. You're actually plucking as you get that little. So I kind of have to grow my nails like a guitar player. You have to grow it so you get a little bit, you know, the the texture that when it's played uh, it gives a certain certain sound. It's more more pronounced. So that's plucking, right? Pizzicato. And then there's the legato. You're playing on the string with the bow. So the bow, which is made of wood, and then the horsehair, which makes contact with the string is creating that sound that you hear. And that sound has got infinite number of ways that you're going to, that you would hear something. You could hear twinkle, twinkle, and it's going to sound different. I could play five times in a row and every time is going to sound different because of the way that the horsehair is making contact with the four strings on on the violin. Now that sounds very, um, oh, what's the word? The opposite of digital. That sounds so analog. And then we talk about an electric violin. Is the electric violin just an amplified regular violin or it's it's not that straightforward? I would say, yeah, it is. The one thing good about an electric violin is that you don't run into, if you're in a venue where you have to, you know, where you have to have a loud volume, for example, feedback doesn't become uh, an issue. There's pros and cons to both instruments, but the electric violin, when you play it, it gets, um, it, you're amplifying. It's like, I guess it's just, it, it's the same concept as, an, as a, an electric guitar versus an acoustic guitar. And many are, are familiar with the electric guitar. When you're playing it, you don't really, you don't hear anything too when you're, if it's, unless it's amplified and plugged in. Nothing's coming from the instrument itself, unless it's hollow and has something, you know, the body for, to produce sound from the instrument. Now, when you talk about electric violin, depending on your age, one will think of either Nash the Slash or Ashley McIsaac. Have you come across either of those two performers during your career? I haven't met them personally, but their names come up all the time. And Nash the Slash, of course, I was a fan of when I was younger. I knew him, saw his uh, the way he presented himself. And 
you know, just the instrument itself. For me, I mean, that's what I, when I say about taking all these ideas, not just audible ideas, but also visual presentations. And I try and mash them up, but I put them all in a blender and then you spit out what, you know, you end up seeing what I, what I do in my shows. Uh, but sometimes, you know, when you saw me on, on Pablo stage, for example, I'm doing something which is very, uh, you know, when I'm playing that we're playing Pablo's music, but we also play some selections that, that will be recognizable. Some songs that are not from his albums and songs that we kind of throw a little twist in as well. Well, that's what I love when, when you do something that the crowd recognizes, but it doesn't really expect. And I want to ask you, playing solo as a G Pinto show versus playing with a band or as a guest musician with Pavlo, these are totally different experiences? Yes, they are. Absolutely. I have my own stage shows that I do. So I have my band and uh, coincidentally, we have some members that are like Gino will play on my stage when he's available. You know, going back to my history, when I used to DJ, for example, you kind of hard to, and I used to play for fashion show, fashion show stages, for example. So back then you're not playing with, you know, I used to play in an orchestra when I was younger. You're not going to take the orchestra on the stage. So back in the, I'm going to date myself here then in the nineties, you know, I'd bring the violin on the stage. I didn't even have a wireless unit. We'd bring a cord and we plug it into the instrument or we just use a plain old microphone and I play over top of existing tracks. I got one more practical question for you. Your hands are your business, like George Costanza, when he uh, briefly became a hand model. <laughs> Grenville, do you have hand insurance? I don't. I don't legitimately have. Not. I don't have hand insurance. I really try and be careful with my hand. I be careful with my health. That's actually job number one. As a musician, we have to be like athletes. You know, you can't. You got to watch. Make sure that iron, that hot iron, isn't left out. Like poor George. Uh, with with his demise uh so it's constantly yeah i don't have i think with um maybe something i'm gonna have to talk to my in- insurance agent about now that you've mentioned it i think it's something i'm a big believer that on the inside you gotta take care of your you know what's on the inside of your body that way watch what we put in which is such a struggle every day because you know we don't have just the erratic schedules and food options that are available make it challenging and sometimes that can dictate how your body feels and in the end if you're not resting right and eating right then it can show and shows up in the form of your you know your fingers and all can't can't move like the uh like they would on a good day we've all had that experience where somebody comes in for the hard handshake they want to crush your hand as so i guess you oh, yeah. gotta watch out for those guys oh yeah that happens let's please go all the way back, get the Grenville Pinto story. You are not a native Torontonian. Where were you born? And please describe your upbringing. So I was born in Hamilton, Hamilton, Ontario, home of the Thai Cats, Oski Wee Wee, Steel Town. And I'm proud of my roots. I'm proud of being from Hamilton. It was, uh, you know, Toronto was always the city I wanted to go to, being in Hamilton. I kind of, um, you know, like the upbringing in the, you know, it's a blue collar town and my father went to work, single earner, and it was, you know, kind of everyone has to fend for themselves kind of thing. So I had part-time jobs, you know, growing up. But my love for music was always consistent. Uh, I was always very strong. And with the DJing, as I mentioned before, we used to make trips with my buddies. We'd come to Toronto. We'd take the bus. We'd come, go down to Sam the Record Man and Stardust Records and places like that that had the selection of music that we wanted and needed. We heard, only heard on the radio. So... That was my, um, 
you know, my upbringing there. My father, I've got two sisters, both play keyboards and both accompany me to this day, actually. And they come on my stage and Pablo's been on my stage for my shows and he's seen my sisters come on there. We do numbers, songs that we played years and years ago when we were, when we were children. You came from a musical family, as you know. Now, you actually started on piano as a child, but you lived across the street from a school and saw all these kids walking around with cases, and you wondered, what's in those cases? Yeah, I think it was that was more my mother who saw that. And maybe my mother was teaching all of us. We only had the one piano at home. It was an upright. It was a Gerard Heinzman, I remember. And I think what happened was, this is what I think. I used to see the kids going, too. My mom took, I remember, she we look out the window because this, this school was literally right across the street from where we lived. We had a bakery too on the other side, another dangerous, uh, I mean, two, two temptations, which I gave into, but the music side of it, my mother would be out there looking. And I think it was because when she was teaching me piano, I was banging a bit too hard on those keys and she wanted that piano to last for my sisters. So I think she probably figured, now let's see if we can get them onto something else. So yeah, I went across the street. She took me and we talked to the to the teacher, the music teacher there, uh, because the school I went to was a couple blocks away. It was a Catholic school and that school did not offer a music program. So we got time taken off from the from my school and then uh, they allowed me to go in and, and take lessons from the, from the school across the street from where we lived. And I did and quite we- well. Yeah, when I first started and the rest was history. We just kind of took off and did private lessons, played for the orchestra in Hamilton. And that's what gave me my, you know, not just love for music, but appreciation for other instruments and being able to listen to other players. Well, what I found really interesting, Granville, is when you did start to learn the violin, you were left-handed, but you had to learn how to play violin as a righty. This must have been a really weird experience. Yes. First of all, not too many people know that. So it's actually quite quite impressive with this question here. So yes, I am a self-paw. I was born that way. I don't know what happened. I used to play hockey on the street when I ate. Everything was left-handed for me. Uh, Some things I had to learn right-handed. For example, scissors. In school, they had the lefty scissors. I go fishing for them. I I don't know if you remember those. I don't even know if they still have them or not. But yeah, the lefty scissors, I would use those. But then I many times they they either ran out of them. They only had very few or they didn't have them. So I got forced to learn how to cut with my right hand. So that's one example how I did the same thing, got translated to the, or was was uh, experienced with the violin. So I don't know any teachers who would be able to teach me the other way around. That's got to be very rare. These days you can find them, I'm sure, on the internet. But anywhere I know, everyone plays the same way. They're bowing with the right hand and the left hand holds the violin itself. So I just had to learn that way. I think I would have had a stronger, you know, for my dexterity, Maybe my right hand is stronger on the piano. And who knows? I would have been a different player maybe if I did. But then, I don't know, because I played it this direction, I just, this is me, how I, again, sing through my instrument. Comes from a left-handed player playing right-handed. And this is the end product that you see in my music. That's amazing. As a kid, you don't know any better. You just, you, you adapt. You adapt. That goes to show, yes, that we can adapt and necessity is the mother of invention. Now, as you mentioned, you were classically trained at the Royal Conservatory of Music and were a member of the Hamilton Philharmonic Orchestra. Had you enjoyed the formal orchestra experience? Oh, the orchestra, fantastic. The orchestra is one of the biggest 
biggest influences. Now, this was the the Philharmonic Youth Orchestra, actually, which gave me my roots in Hamilton. And they were just, we you know, not only traveled, uh, every Saturday we'd play at a place in Hamilton. It's this, oh my God, what it's called the Scottish Rite. Uh, I remember it, Queen and King. I think it is a great place to play. I mean, we used to, you know, we would gather in there with all the instruments and play. It was Glenn Mallory that headed it up for many, many years, and he's passed on now. Uh, an amazing gentleman and an amazing, amazing experience because you're listening, you're learning your parts, and you're part of a sea of instruments that create the sound that can't be created any other way. I mean, these days you could try, but you still need it's something. There's something about hearing an orchestra live, which is totally unique. But the biggest benefit I got out of that was my ear being adjusted to hearing the different sounds and learning the different instruments and what they do. Well, in addition to being an artist, you're also a practical guy. You earned an honors bachelor of commerce degree from McMaster University. How was your experience at McMaster? Oh, McMaster was great. First of all, it's the only shop in town for a university, really. That's uh, everybody wants to go there. And I was fortunate enough to go there. My degree was in, I took music throughout while I was doing my post-secondary there. But, you know, when you grow up, when you're taking music, a lot of times you don't do it with the intention of that you're going to do this for the rest of your life. It's just a fun thing or it rounds you out as an individual. So my focus was marketing business, which is where I got my degree. And I never, ever gave up music throughout my life. I was always, people just heard me and asked me to play for things. So I was always playing on weekends for different functions or even during the week. It just happened. At family gatherings, we'd all hover around the piano, we'd gather around the piano and play with my sisters. So music was always part of my life. Even though I went to school, my training was for the marketing side. But I'll tell you, if I didn't have that marketing and business side, I don't think I'd be where I am today. Well, we're going to talk a little about that in a little while, but you know, it's one thing to be a talent. It's one thing to enjoy music, but it's another thing to make it a profession. How'd you start getting paid gigs? Oh, you know, well, when I was an altar boy, they used to give me five bucks, whether I wanted it or not. And I didn't want that. I didn't even care about the money. I just want to go play. And to this day, I just want to go play. But you got to put that business hat on because you realize after that, you know, you can, uh, you're, you have to know your worth and know that you're giving something to someone, even though it's what you love and any job you, you can say it's, it's, it's what you love, but there's always going to be aspects of it that you don't like to do. And I, I got to get paid for that. Those, that side of it. I love going and showing up, but do I like doing contracts? Do I like checking all my emails? You obviously are a businessman as well. Let's talk about the business of being a professional musician can I assume that the actual performance is probably the shortest amount of time you spend yeah. and that it's all the behind the scenes stuff that takes up the majority of your time? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The music, the fun part, I always joke about that. We all do. I mean, as, as a musician, the fun part is the part we get paid for and it's all the other stuff that, you know, which is the work behind. But we, I love doing that too. So it's all part of the package anyway. But you got to know your worth again and you got to make sure when you're negotiating, it's that split instant. When do I mention the price? You know, little sales things, sales tactics. These were things that I learned from my marketing background, from my sales background. And I think this allows me, gives me the confidence to deal with people uh, confidently and comfortably. We got so many components to being a professional musician. You got publishing, recording, touring, special events, merchandise, streaming. Uh, I guess without intruding too much on your personal financials, which of those components 
best kind of pays the bills for a professional musician within a, an industry that's constantly evolving? I would say for me at the moment and the past 20 years, I've been doing it full time. It, it will be the, be the live performances for me. And before that, I used to work a day job. I used to be, like you said, publishing. I was a publisher for a magazine because I was been, I've been working in the publishing industry since I was 16 or 17 years old uh, with the newspaper in Hamilton. So this was something I thought I'd do for the rest of my life. You know, I, I would do this as my main profession. But then music was always, you no, know, music ended up taking over. It was something naturally that just happened. It just got to a point where it's not something which I intended to happen. The music just, I was making more doing what I loved, doing my, not, I would say love, but with my music than I was with my, with my day job. I learned to love my day job too, which I did actually. So it's this, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day and you got to pick which one you're, what are you going to do? You know, and at the end of it, I took the gamble and I did music, music full time and things happened in the industry too with, with publishing that I think it was, no, actually I know it was a change for the better for me. It was the right decision to focus on clearly it was and you also get to use your marketing background when you talk about the g pinto brand what's the importance of your brand well i think we're all we're all brands you know we, we walk every time we well all of us as as human beings we've all created an image of ourselves uh people know like when i hear andrew andrew applebaum for example i know who you are now i know pavlo for example is a, right we're all my my dad is a brand you know, that way to me, you know, so with me being a brand, I want people to associate, oh, they're, they need a violinist for an, a special event. Oh, I'm going to, you know, Pinto or it's a, it's a Friday, it's a Friday night. They have a hot date and they need to meet some nice music in the background. Okay. I'm going to stream some, some G Pinto music, you know, so that kind of thing. So from that branding perspective, I want people that's, you know, my eclectic love for music. I want it to be, you know, it's in a way. I'm kind of, I'm on these different, well, we all are, all are as, as musicians, we're accessible in so many different ways that you want your brand to be like, you know, Coca-Cola, for example, you know, right away what it is. And with Pinto, G Pinto, I want them to know that, yeah, this is violin music. This is, this is something that makes me, it's a happy, it's a happy place. It's something that's positive vibes. That's what I want people to feel. So I want them to feel that even before they come to a show, they know automatically when they hear, when they see my name, they can associate it with good feelings. There's a brand promise. You know what you're getting. And I think you're best known for your versatility. You have an absolutely astounding repertoire of over 1,200 songs. Now, can you play these by heart on request or do you need prep time or sheet music? No, a lot of them I I do play play from from my mind actually. They're not, they're up there. They're not as some I have to refresh sometimes, but that's why I'm have to be careful when I'm out. I do tell you know people do shout out songs and I just play them, you know. And um, yeah, this happens. This does happen because the music that I have in my head, I just I, I just happen to know them. That's all because I'm constantly listening to music. I think. You know, they say that you should sit in silence for so long every day. I just, that's not possible for me. I always have to have music on. Like, as soon as I finish this call with you, I'm going to be putting on something. That's why I have my CD collection. I have my, my vinyl still, you know. So for me, it's always a musical experience. Something audible is going through my brain, which can, I don't know, can be also a little dangerous. I have to watch it, but. I've always said that music is a mood regulator. 
You know, it can even keep you calm. You can put calm music on, you know, and have an even better effect than silence sometimes. But I may get in like a few minutes of silence. I've been trying to do that lately, but not so successfully. Well, they, they say to mix it up, but yeah, as you know, you got to do what works for you. Right. Now, Grenville, you're an innovator when it comes to being a crossover artist. You actively mix musical genres. My personal favorite G Pinto collaboration is on the Dr. Dre track, Still Dre. Please tell us what that is and how it came about. Oh my gosh, any of the hip hop stuff, you know, there's so much of the hip hop stuff, which I play and I've been playing that because I go back again to my DJing days that I mentioned. I just love that, that music and that music started back then. So I play that music. I play it a lot and it's part of my, part of my, my thing. People know I, I jump all over the place, but hip hop is one of the big genres that I play. And that particular song just was an accident with a video and I think it went viral. Actually, one of the, I was playing, it might've been a wedding actually, I was playing it at, and people just, the phones just go up automatically now. When I play it these days, people love that. It's something familiar. I think that's what it is. I think it's the tune itself. It's so familiar. It's the arrangement of the song, just those, just those chords. They become ingrained in people's, people's DNA. You know, they hear it and just boom, they, their heads turn because it's a different presentation of the song. And the way I do it is just the way that I, I heard it in my head. I can't describe it. And then I add little riffs to it, which like the Godfather or something that'll just make it even more familiar. So it becomes quite the, I mean, all, a lot of my pieces are like that. They're very, you know, those are, it's a simple song that has just been repackaged a little bit with my twist. And for some reason it just stuck it, and it sticks with people and people want to hear that because it's not the same old, you know, a lot of times you hear, if you're a song, especially when it's so popular, you're hearing it in, it in its original format. And these days, it's all about what do you got different, but with the familiarity still there. I think it's fabulous. You did give it a great little twist. <laughs> Thanks. Now, please share some stories involving bold-faced names. In March 2022, you performed at a Justin Bieber family wedding in Montego Bay, and Selena Gomez was in attendance. Yeah, that was actually pre-COVID, that particular one. That was... Uh, that was for Jeremy's wedding. So I played, that's the, that's uh, uh, Justin's father's wedding I, I played for. And that, yeah, that was in, that was in Jamaica. So I flew down for that, for that wedding. And, um, oh, what an event. And I have played for the family functions, you know, for the engagement party. But this was intimate. This was something surreal. You know, to be in that type of company, it was not only surreal from a celebrity standpoint, but it was nice to be in the company of just few people, 60, 70 people. It was very intimate and it was very special and it was an honor for me to be part of it. I think it simply was part of the evolution, 
how I got to know the family through mutual contacts. And to this day, I still see him. I saw Jeremy about a month ago. Justin, we don't see as often because he he comes when he does. And when that if the opportunity comes for me to play again, I hope it does. I'll get to hang out with him again. You know, but Selena was there. She was a lot of fun that evening, but they were on the outs at that time. So I feel bad, but I am honored that I had the chance to meet with her and actually sit with her a little bit. How surreal is that while you're playing to know that just behind you, Justin and Selena are uh, standing there and, and perhaps likely to jump in and vocalize? Yeah. Well, we didn't get to that. As a matter of fact, I'm not, I wasn't, no, part of the stipulations and the rules were because planning an event like that, you have to, everything has to be kept under wraps. Right, the strict, strict, you know, guidelines before before we even before before we even talk about about the event, about the wedding. You're playing, concentrating on playing, and meanwhile, Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez are right behind your shoulder. I mean, it must play with your mind. Yeah. What happened was this. So the stipulations that we had for the wedding was that you couldn't play music, can't play Justin's music, can't play Selena's music, and we couldn't play the weekend's music. So there were reasons they had for it. I won't get into detail, but it was a great time. And I know that Justin, both Justin and Selena did react to the music. In addition to everybody in, in attendance, uh, especially for the wedding, it's so moving. You know, that's, uh, with, 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 with Jeremy, uh, the songs that they picked for Walking Down the Aisle, like uh, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And so you know, just songs like, you know, there were songs that meant something to them. And with my presentation, I could tell that they were being moved by the music. There was a point when Justin just put his hands in his head and he was just singing along with, I think it was uh, was perfect. Ed Sheeran's perfect at the time. And to get that reaction, and at, at the end of the ceremony, he comes and he's dancing around me with the kids. And that's one of the one of the famous pictures that's out there. But that captures the moment and shows how the music connected. And not necessarily the selection, but the presentation, being in that moment, being with family, how it all came together, and it's just, you know, things just happened in that particular um, moment, as I said, yeah. Well, what a unique experience. Uh, another one that you had that I'd classify as very unique is you performed for former president Bill Clinton. Did you get to meet him? You know what it was? It was, I was selected to play. This one was not as intimate for me. I didn't get the contact that I wanted, but I was selected to play for the cocktail party that he was at. He was speaking, and that was in, in Hamilton. This was many, many years ago. So my job was to play during the cocktail hour. So that's when he was he was in attendance for that, for that particular one. So I don't have any any great stories to tell you other than I was the one providing the music. He didn't get up and do his trumpet or any, I believe he plays, right? So he he famously played saxophone on oh, saxophone. Arsenio, Arsenio Hall show. <laughs> right. Okay. So this, I didn't get to experience that. But he was in Hamilton that day for his speech. And yes, and I, I, was, I was a guy playing for the cocktail hour. For, you also uh, for played the for party. number 93, the killer, Dougie Gilmore. Oh, yeah. That was a personal event. I believe that one. It's such a mix of where I meet people and see people. But yeah, Doug Gilmore was at, an, I believe that one might have been a wedding that I was playing for. And I got to, um, yeah, we took a picture together. Uh, and he, he was a great guy, very down to earth, which is you know, a lot of times you don't know how people are and, you know, you hear stories, you know, it can go one way or the other, but it's nice when you have that opportunity to either, you know, just put your arm around him for a second and take a quick shot. And he's just, you know, so, so uh, down to earth and, and open, you know, to talking to a violin guy like me. 
And here's a real throwback name. The late, great, honest Ed Mervish. Oh, yeah. Ed Mervish, what a great guy. But what he's done for the city, a uh, legend, icon. I'm respect to him and the, and the Mervish family. I was totally honored to do that. And that was, uh, at, at the time, Canada had, had the three tenors performing. And I was playing along with them. So I was accompanying them for their performance. So I was right there. Like we got special, uh, special access, VIP access and all to where, where Ed Mervish was during that day. And I remember him posing for pictures and we were talking a little bit, but yeah, it was, he, it was an honor, an honor to be uh part of that. And then I also got some, uh, I got, I got tickets to some shows after too, which was pretty cool. That's a great side benefit. Yeah. Especially back then I was, I was young and you know, you don't realize that what what uh, what Ed Mervish, who he really was, and now I look back on it, I'm saying that was such a cherished moment. Now, another name that's a throwback name is when I got home from school every day, I would watch Three's Company. I watched every single episode, and the late great John Ritter was the star, of course. And uh, you had an interaction with him. I did. I uh, you know I met him and I met Suzanne Summers. And um, John Ritter was at an event. That was at an event when I was in my in my publishing life. He, I can tell you, is an amazing, an amazing individual. So real, so funny. The way he is on TV is the way he is in real life. And I got to witness that. I got to, we took a funny picture together. He wanted just that's the way he is. He didn't want a simple say we're going to take a picture. He said and he he has his hands around my neck just for fun. Anyway, he's such a great guy. I am a big, big fan of him and Three's Company and also the whole, I mean, the cast for that matter. It was just a, that's a, that's just a, an era, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a time, time in history. You can't go wrong with Three's Company. Great Uh, nostalgia. And it's still airing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now you also played for a past guest of this podcast, Elvis Stoiko. Oh, so that's another these are events that I was at. I remember he was, so Elvis would have been, either he was co-hosting and I was performing, but we were both at the same event. Definitely both of us. So he's a nice guy too. I didn't get to talk to him as much because he has to do his job and I have to do mine, but we did pose for a moment because we both knew that we were both sharing the same, you know, say we had had duties at the same gig. So, So sometimes we don't get to hang out. Other times we do, if there's an after party and all, but a lot of, times when I'm performing, I perform and I got to go off to something else. So I don't get the chance to hang out with my with my colleagues that particular day. Well, another colleague and another past guest of this podcast, Matt Dusk, the crooner. Yeah. Oh, Matt Dusk is another similar to the tenors. I was accompanying him. And that was an event we did at, at Casa Loma. It was a show. My sister was playing in that one too. So it's funny, these things, how they just, you don't forget them. They just stick in your head. You know, these memories memories, music. I guess music is like that for me. It's just anything, you know, with a lot of people, certain events or songs, something will, you know, sometimes you don't want things in your head too. Like certain songs that get in your head, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't get that, that riff out of my head. But sometimes, you know, riffs like that create music too. So, but anyway, Matt Dusk definitely had the, had the privilege of, of meeting him and, and uh, playing with him. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview, please check out the more than 175 additional episodes available anytime. We got TVO's Steve Pakin, our Canadian ambassador to the United Nations, Bob Ray, 
Olympic gold medalists Donovan Bailey, Mark McCoy, and Bruni Surin, the King of Bay Street, Wes Hall, and Glass Tigers, Alan Frew. How they did it directly from the Toronto legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, of course, there's great people, and there's also great and iconic venues. Massey Hall, Roy Thompson Hall, you've played both. Any memories from either of those legendary concert venues? Yes, so those are both with Pavlo's concerts. And that is something, what can I say, surreal, legendary. You go on there, you're sharing stages that big artists have been at. And you see backstage, there's pictures of them, there's autographs. So to be in that same league is, you know, it's an honor, it's a privilege. It's, uh, you know, it's like that that pinch me moment kind of thing happening. Yeah, with uh, that was that was through Pavlo's concerts, and just recently we we did at uh, at we were at Massey Hall with the new like the new renovations. It is absolutely stunning. What a great place to play, and I'm hoping I can get my audience up so I can I can rent that place out, do a show. Absolutely, I love that idea. That would be great. <laughs> now let's get back to the business of being a professional musician. Why don't you talk a little about the importance of social media? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, streaming your music. You're kind of on top of all this stuff? Well, yeah, it's all its all me because I'm, I'm a believer. I mean, I like to have my voice. I just believe my voice until I find the right person to help me with that, if it is possible. But I find that people like to, I think they, they appreciate when it's my voice coming through, you know, on the, I mean, social media first started by accident for me. A friend of mine, she had a party and the only way you can go to the party is if you join Facebook. I said, what is this Facebook stuff? I had no idea what the stuff was. So I went on it just because I want to go to the party. I kept, then I realized obviously the importance of it. You realize now it's just, you have to be there. You have to have some presence. And just because people, you don't know where they're going to find you because it's, I don't want to, I want to say splintered, but anyway, the world is kind of, you know, it's so many different roadways to get to the same destination i still plug my website which is the most important which is gpinto.com and from there people can select you know where they get their information from and who they follow and that sort of thing well i think it's absolutely true what you're saying it's such a fragmented market you have to find people where they are and on that note grenville you are your own manager slash agent how do you market yourself that's a good question it's referrals and past clients or Ref- referrals are number one for sure. Word of mouth. Uh, social media is a big thing. You know, when people's phones go up, that's an advertisement. And believe it or not, I'm hearing from people who say they saw someone's feed and I was in it and they want to hire me for something or they saw my concert or they heard about it through a friend. So that is key. Definitely. Uh, the marketing side of it. I just have, like I said, with my sales and marketing experience, that is crucial. There's so many small little things I just never know. Like someone calls and if I have a sit down meeting with someone, I'm using a certain set of skills that I have, you know, something that comes to me to close the deal at that time. Or there's times that I know when to walk away from a deal. How do I know? There's a gut feel too. So I use my gut. I use my brain. I use my heart because I love what I do so much. People, I think, I hope they see the passion in what I do. And the referrals are always number one though, right? When someone... It's coming from someone credible to them, right? Because it could be somebody's phone went up. I, I could call that person out of the blue. They don't know who I am. But if their friend had a posting up, they said, oh, I got this video of this guy or you got to use this guy for something or go see a show. They're going to go because of the friend, not because of me. 
right? And then they get hooked on me. So I, I try and get them in however I can. It could be Pavlo's concerts. I go on playing and then I know I'll have uh, some people who come out and see me there at his shows. There's so many different things. The possibilities are endless. Well, I think as you say, it ties in with your experience and you never know what's going to hit next. But you talked about your excellent suits. Like your frequent collaborator, Pavlo, you have incredibly vibrant outfits and suits. Do you want to give a shout out to your tailor or your haberdasher? Oh, I use a couple of them. You know what? A lot of my stuff is bought off the rack too. Because when I'm traveling, I constantly shop and look for ideas. I do have a couple of guys who I use. It could be anything from a designer through to custom. I have a lot of custom stuff too. And I also have a lot of off the rack. I mean, a lot of, I have fans who want to come see my closets, you know, what I have in there. It's, it's like an Elton John show. I mean, here sometimes it's just too much. I, 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 that's a, that's a problem that I have. I think that bakery I used to live beside, uh, between my love for pastries and, and sweets and my love for clothes, those are two, two addictions that I don't know if they can have a good and bad side to them. You got to keep them in balance. Well, that'll keep you in check. You got to make sure you can still fit into your pants. Yeah, that's a... (laughs) That is a constant, that is a constant issue. Yeah. Cause that'd be, that'd be quite, you know, getting, getting a new wardrobe is not going to be an easy venture for sure. I have to ask you specifically about playing Jewish weddings. You of course have to play Hava Nagila, but do they expect you to know the entire repertoire from the Fiddler on the Roof soundtrack? No, but I actually do know the music anyhow. I know, I know a couple of songs from Fiddler on the Roof. I just learned those before even catering to the, to the Jewish market. You know, just I've had I've had functions where I've played for them, but that's just music. My my father brought us up when I was playing. My sister played accordion, and my other sister plays uh, keyboards, and we just learned a whole slew of songs. We didn't know what country they were from. We didn't know who we, we were. We, we know where the roots were. It was a Tatantala or something, or Happen Nagila, or I was if I were a rich man or Sunrise Sunset. But so we learned. I learned these songs when I was young. You know, I'm able to play them for, for specific functions, for specific ethnic groups that want them, you know, which is great. So it's a nice bonus. I think another great thing is just where you're based out of with uh, the GTA being so multicultural and so diverse, it perfectly fits with your incredible uh, repertoire of material. Oh yeah. That just, you know what? I always say that. And I think Toronto was, was probably the first in my eyes that I, I, I was just in the right place at the right time. I think being here with my, and I, it was not intentional. My love for music, my love for nationalities. I'm like the Russell Peters of of the violin, I think. That way, we have the same thinking, exact same thinking, where we're doing different nationalities. We cater to different nationalities, and we bring them all together. We're all under one roof. We all get along still. So I'll be in a, in a function. I'm jumping from, sure, I may play Jewish, but these days, everything's mixed. I, I could play something Indian, and you could mix with the same group. You know, we're so diverse. Toronto has just always been like that, right? Multicultural. Obviously, big cities too in the U.S. and all of you know they have their Chinatown and Little India and you know places where 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 they congregate. But the music I just learned and I've just been presenting to you know to my to my listeners. I think it's a great market yeah. to grow up in and a, a great market as an audience for sure. As we close up, Granville, I want to ask, what are you working on now, and what is coming next for G Pinto? So I'm working on some new music. So I just shot my last video for uh, for my Escape album. So I've got music videos for every song on that album, which I'm very proud of to be able to say that because I don't know too many artists who have music videos. And these are just these are these are world class videos, if I can say that. So I, so I go 
I, I travel internationally to shoot my videos uh, for many of them. Some I, I shoot locally too. We have great spots here in, in Canada, in the Toronto area, in Ontario that I've shot. And you'll see that in my Escape album. I've, I've been you know north uh, to Muskoka to shoot. I've shot in Greece uh, for many of the songs. I've shot in uh, down south. We've shot in Cuba for many of them as well. So anyway, so I'm proud of that album. Now it's always that what's next, right? Which happens. So that leads to your question. And I'm working on new material. So then for me, that visual aspect has to come with it too. So these days you kind of have to have that. Well, it's part of what I do. It's always, what are you doing next? They're always, yeah, new music, what's next. Shows are always the same. I'll be doing my shows and concerts, you know, just basically keeping that mass musical message going to everybody, you know, and that's, it's a global market now. So I want as many people to experience what I love and what I get to, you know, produce from my side, what I get to share internally and vocalize it through my instrument. I want that on a mass scale to as many people as possible. And on that note, how can people follow you and know what you're up to? Where should they go? I would say just go to my website. So it's gpinto.com, G-P-I-N-T-O.com. Super simple. You can keep up with Grenville and what he's up to. I want to thank you for your time today. It was great to get to know you and hear all your stories and your passion is so evident. And I'm going to uh, look forward to your new material and maybe some new mashups that uh, catch my attention. Thanks, Andrew. It's been my pleasure to have you. And to the listeners, on behalf of Grenville, or G. Pinto, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.